another episode of Paranormal, the New Normal. I am your host, as always, Jeremy, here to try to make the world seem a little more normal. And today, we might achieve that, we might not, who knows. But as always, there's a guest to try to help me accomplish this goal. And that guest today is Dr. Randy Overbeck, who is a author of the Haunted Shores Mysteries book series, which, from what I looked at, seemed very fascinating. And he's also a podcaster of the Great Stories About Great Storytellers podcast, which we'll be talking about all that and much more tonight. But first things first, how are you doing today, Randy? I am doing great. It's, uh, well, it was a beautiful day here in Ohio. We're, we're getting ready to get deluged like everybody else in the nation. But today yes. was, for, for Ohio in January to have a day of 55 and sun, that's a good day. Yeah, it, it yeah, it, I mean, it's already snowing here. We already got an inch or two, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Don't don't want my kids to hear me, but they already have no school tomorrow. But don't want them to hear that yet, though, because I want them to go I'm to sure bed. they're hoping I'm not. Sure. I understand. <laughs> I'm sure. I, but I was in education for 40 years, so I, I lived that life for a long time. Ah, well, there you go. So first question I always ask in this show is, what got you into the paranormal? And I'm especially interested in this because you're an author of it. So, yeah, and I think, and I've listened to several of your guests, and I think my uh, my bona fides are certainly not in their category. I I, I would have to say that I kind of um, accidentally or as a sidetrack ended up in the paranormal. Um, I've always been a general quiet believer in the world of ghosts. I don't have any personal experiences in that, like some of your other guests have, but uh, I, I was, I, I have always maintained, uh, Shakespeare said it best. In Hamlet, he says, there is more to your world, there's more to uh, your philosophy, that, that, there's more to this world than it ever dreamt of in your philosophy, uh, Horatio. And that's exactly what I, what, and my research and what I have read, there are just too many things for which there is no, quote, rational explanation. But about um, oh, maybe seven or eight years when I was in the very initial start of researching for my, the first book in the trilogy, The Haunted Shore Mysteries, Blood on the Chesapeake, I was actually attending a writer's conference in Indiana. And the session that I had wanted to attend was canceled. And I'm fishing around to try, the person didn't show. I was fishing around for another one. And it just turns out that there was a ghost hunting group uh, called the Paranormal Society of Indiana, Central Indiana, C-I-P-D-P-S, that was putting on a presentation. I went, eh, what the heck, I'll go. I can tell you that I was absolutely blown away. Um, they had, what they had done for their session was that they had, showed the scientific evidence they had collected at one ghost hunting event at a uh, in a space that was supposed to be haunted. And they told us about all the equipment that they brought and what they used and stuff. And they played a recording of what they claimed, and I now probably agree with that, was the voice of a, of a female ghost trapped in this particular area. But what really blew me away was this. So I don't know how many of your listeners know this because I've not heard all of your podcasts, but 
uh, and I am certainly no expert as far as the ghost hunters go, but most ghost hunting groups, one piece of equipment they bring is a very sensitive temperature thermometer. This particular group not only brought the thermometer, they brought a video camera focused on the thermometer and it stayed focused the entire time, continuously playing for the three hours that they were there. Then they tell this group, now keep watching. They said, in this space, uh, I'm going to guess here because I don't remember exactly, but the, the temperature was in the 60s, probably low 60s, 61, 62. It's an empty building. And they said, keep watching. And in 10 seconds, the thermometer dropped 20 degrees. And then after about two minutes, popped back up. And they actually then fast forwarded. This occurred three different times in the... Um, in their during their three hours of ghost hunting that they had done. I've since learned that this is an extremely common phenomena of ghost appearances all over the world. There's hundreds of documented examples for which there is no scientific answer for why this room, a 10 by 20 room, temperature would drop 20 degrees in 10 seconds. And that's kind of got my feet wet, so to speak. Interesting. and. From there, that made you want to write a book about this. Well, well, from there, it made me want to do a lot of research first to kind of get the details on. Because one of the things now, my my books are all, I, I correct. I want to be I want to be modest about this. I try really hard to make all of my books very uh, realistic and believable in all aspects. So they all take place in a certain location and all the details. So, for example, the first book takes place on the eastern shore of the Chesapeake Bay. And for people who have visited there, they will find all these places, restaurants, all these in, all these places that they've gone to very meticulously detailed in the books, in that, in that first book. I wanted to make sure that the details that I provided for the ghosts were, have the same level of reality of all the rest of my writings. One of the things that I try to do very differently from nearly all other ghost books, uh, I'm a, I am a fan of ghost fiction. I have read a lot of ghost fiction. Nearly all ghost fiction falls into two categories. There, on the one hand, you have what I call the Stephen King ghost fiction, the, the fiction that you read that um, is designed to terrify you and keep you up at night. And the other side of that coin is what I call Casper the Friendly Ghost, and that's a very usually a cozy that's writing about this friendly ghost that helps solve mysteries and all that kind of stuff. Neither one of the, what I found in my research is neither one of those extremes is anchored in the documented reality that I uncovered. So I wanted to make sure that the way the, my ghosts interact in my books is actually what has been documented by those people who are doing an honest, hard job of trying to use scientific methods to identify what's going on in terms of the spirit world interacting with the human world. Interesting. And I, I'm sure your readers do appreciate that. That would make, that would make a lot of these books a lot more interesting is that they're actually based in reality. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I'm a huge Stephen King fan, but a lot of his, a lot of the stuff he writes in his books, I know is not going to happen. Right. Yeah. Uh well, and he, if he were on your cat, he would tell you he doesn't expect people to believe it will happen. That's not really the point. You yeah. know, you're suspending your disbeliefs to be able to go ahead and jump on that. But what I, the ghosts in my books never do anything. I 
might hedge a little bit. They really never do anything that ghosts haven't already documented as having occurred. They don't solve any mysteries. They don't come up with information that other people don't have. Ghosts can't do that. At least according to my research, they're not able to do that. Yeah. Which, I mean, I've heard like fringe cases where, oh, this medium says a ghost will help them solve a mystery, but Still, that's not the ghost solving the mystery per se. That's the medium going by right. what the ghost says to solve the mystery. So. Supposedly, yes, right, exactly, right. Yeah, and I don't know how. I mean, I try really hard to stay close to what I could find documentation for, because I think there's a lot more. There's a lot more reality there than what other people kind of dismiss. Well, let me ask you this: What do you think? And I mean, obviously, there's the easy answer to it, but what do you think ghosts are in a way? Like, I guess I mean, like, kind of like what belief belief line do you kind of go in with what ghosts are? Well, it, actually, I do a uh, I do a program um, with you know clubs and organizations and stuff that I go around the country sharing called Things That Go Bump in the Night, and I have another one called. Um, a few favorite haunts. And in those programs, I talk about what has been arrived at as a consensus in terms of what is going, what really is going on. Um, some of this, there is scientific evidence. Others, it's just the consensus of those who have done the studying. And this is one in the consensus, right? I mean, the one thing that's that, that we know for sure is that where there is a reputation where there is a reputable documentation of a ghost occurring, the first thing we know is that the ghost that's occurring is in fact somebody who had died. They're not somebody in a coma. They're not somebody that's somehow in two places at one time. This is actually a documented person. Their death has been documented, but for some reason they're showing up in this particular location. Uh, the bet that that's that's reality. That's specific. The consensus of those who study this is that those creatures are ghosts because for some reason they have unfinished business in this world. Sometimes that unfinished business is their own. Sometimes that unfinished business has to do with someone else. Yeah, which I mean, that's, I, I kind of agree with that. That is one of the common beliefs. And but there's also the belief that sometimes ghosts are still stuck here because they're afraid of where they're going to go if they move on. I, yeah, I've read that. I'm not sure that, and I, that's a possibility. Um, you know, one of the things that I was surprised when I did this research is that there is a very solid belief in ghosts in every culture in in the world. That in every religion there is some part of that religion's, religion's doctrine or dogma has a belief in ghosts embedded in it. Now, those ghost beliefs uh, are not the same from Buddhist to Hindu to uh, Jewish to Christian, but they, they exist in all of those areas. Um, yes. But, you know, like, for example, the Hindus believe that ghosts are associated with people who died only are only associated with people who died unexpected deaths, usually accidents or murders. That's just an example. 
Um, but I would, you know, my argument is, okay, it's kind of like Noah and the flood. Those of us who are Christian, we're all told the story about Noah and the flood. Yep. And when we were told that, we weren't sure if it was metaphor or if it was real. Since then, since I've grown up and read about a lot of other religions, the first thing I learned was almost every religion has a story of the flood. And now we have scientific evidence that, in fact, a flood did occur. Yeah. Okay. The reason I'm segueing to that is if every religion has this belief in ghosts, then it is certainly more than, you know, frivolous things about that little kids enjoy. Uh, th there must be some reality, some underlying reality, if every single religion has that belief, had it 100 years past, still have that as part of their religion, as part of their religion. Yeah, the great flood is in every every religion, every myth, myth yeah, every uh, mythological storyline. There's always a flood at some point, and right, it's interesting. And I mean, it lends credence to the fact that they wrote about it after the fact, and they just said, "Oh, God was angry, or he wanted to get rid right. of this race, and he just whoosh, washed everything right. away." <laughs> but it's just, I mean, well, I they would, used. Yeah, they use a theological argument harnessing an actual event that occurred. Yeah, I mean, which right. kind of lends credence to my fact that, well, to what I've been saying for years, that the Bible is, a, it's, a, it's a book, first and foremost, it's a story. And it may have a lot of metaphors in it and a lot of other literary uses to try to make people fear or believe in this entity but it's just to me like because i was brought up christian as well and as i got older i kind of fell out of it i kind of started trying to start to poke holes in it you know because that's you want to rebel against what you're brought up in and yeah of course yeah and, and you want to go try to poke the hole so i would watch all the documentaries about oh where is noah's ark if no really if that really happened where's the ark now or where did it crash? Or where's the Garden of Eden? Like, I try to watch all that stuff so I could try to have my yeah. arguments ready for people who are true religious. <laughs> but, you know, you grow up and you learn that. Maybe yeah. everything's not the way we think it should be, just black and white. Like, there's always right. a little in-between. But but here, here's my point that has to do with ghosts. If all of those religions have this story of the flood, well, the reason they all have that story is because there really was a flood. The different religions are simply looking at it in a different way and using that actual event to tell a, the story that they want to tell, which is fine. You know, that's okay. We all learn from real things. I, I'm simply saying the same thing must be true about ghosts because every religion has a belief in ghosts. So it's pretty hard to dismiss and say, well, that's not possible. It couldn't exist. My answer would be, well, then how come every religion believes in ghosts at some point? Exactly. I mean, I I use the same exact argument for Bigfoot because every country has their own version of Bigfoot. They do. You're um, right. Yeah. So I mean, it makes to me it makes sense, and I truly believe that. I mean, I live in a in a house that's haunted with a spirit. So. I heard that in one of your other episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so I fully believe in them, and I have for a long, long time. Because I mean, energy has to go somewhere, as Einstein said. It it can't just dissipate like into thin air, but. 
it has to be just it can't be destroyed or it can only be moved around which now have you had any luck in having a ghostbuster come and uh talk to your ghosts and encourage them to move on we had paranormal investigators come in a little over a year ago and they just basically proved to me that there was something here before i before i wanted to admit it and they we communicated with it supposedly they but they were not trying to get it to leave they were trying to get it to calm down like just to calm down and yeah right. be at peace in the house but i've been talking to some previous guests of the show to maybe have one of them come on and i mean not come on but come come here and i, I actually have one who will come and get, take care of it but it's just a matter of eh, there's different aspects of it i really, really don't want to talk bad about anybody I've seen on my show before, but I yeah. will, I have other people interested as well. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a work in progress at this point. I mean, he, he's been silent lately. Like he hasn't really been being a nuisance. So I'm not as much of a hurry to get rid of him as I used to be. Well, you know, the, the one of the things that I discovered in my research about ghosts is that contrary to public opinion, uh, wide opinion, almost no ghosts, all, I need to rephrase that. Almost no documented ghosts have been shown to be malevolent. There are a few, but the vast majority of them are either uh, benevolent or they might like to cause that they are what what a, a what they like to cause some mischief. You know. Yeah. They're a poltergeist. They like to they like to create a uh, a little problem here and there, or they. Sometimes just like to let it be known that they're there. Well, let me ask this one question first to get to the real question I want to ask. Because I really okay. can't ask that unless I ask this first. What, in all your research, what have you theorized happens after we die? What have I theorized? That's a very good question. Well... I do think we go to a better place, but that doesn't mean that everybody's ready to go to the better place. Uh, what I've learned in the research, no, that's not really true. What those who've done the studying that I have read believe that these people, like your ghost, there's a reason why that ghost is hanging around your house. I don't know what the reason is, but there's a reason why he's here, not someplace else, not not passing on. Um, one of the examples I like to use is uh, is the example of Al Unser Jr. Do you know the his, the story about his ghost? What was the name again? Al uh, the, the the NASCAR racer. Oh no! I I'm, I mean I'm, in two thousand and four, Al Unser Jr. Uh, was um, doing a practice run on a track in South Carolina, and um, I don't know the I don't know the technical details, the mechanical details of what happened, but he crashed. Uh, and it was just he and his pit crew on this on this track. And he crashed on the other end of the track. Car explodes. Everything goes up in flames. The pit crew is running across the thing, trying to rescue him. When they get there, they find Al Unser Jr. I hope I'm getting my name right. They find him on the other side of the track, about 20 yards from his car, unconscious, in the grass, laying on the ground. When he finally comes to, 
he tells them that an angel, a ghost, he used, he used both words, pulled him from that car. And then later on, he said it was the ghost of his father, uh, Al Unzard Sr. I have heard this story now. I'm I mean, saying, I, I've, I said yeah. the name wrong. It's Earnhardt. It's Dale Earnhardt and Al. Oh, okay. See, I, I would have. I screwed you up, right? Yeah. I yeah, because I watch it. I mean, I still might not recognize it by the name, even because I'm. I mean, I'm not a NASCAR fan by any means, but <laughs> I, but I have heard the story about a NASCAR driver that was saved out of a car by a ghost slash angel. Okay, I've heard that story. I'm I'm still trying to answer your question. So the argument would be, well, Senior Earnhardt Senior's ghost stayed because his son needed him in that one situation. Now he's passed on. No, there's not. You know. Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt Jr. never said anything about having any experience with his father's ghost after that or anything else. It was just that one one situation. But that's that's an example, I think, of trying to explain why they're why they're here and they're not passed on. Well, I mean, okay. Well, the question I was trying to get to by that question, because, well, from what I've been told by multiple mediums and psychics and clairvoyants, is that. And this is what they've been told by some spirits they've communicated with as well, is that basically when we pet when we when we go, we are basically our spirits are sent up to this kind of like a waiting room area almost. And mm-hmm. there is a there is a place beyond that that if you achieve everything you're supposed to achieve, you go there. But no one knows what it really is. I mean, you can call it heaven if you want, but I don't like right. to put a name on I like the names on it. But basically it's like a waiting room to come back down if you haven't accomplished everything you're supposed to accomplish yet. And when they when you when it's your turn to go into another body, you come back down. Oh no, I not heard I not heard the body part. That's not that's you mean like a reincarnation option, you mean? Yeah, it's kind of like a reincarnation idea. Okay, that's this is new to me. I'm not I'm not saying that that's not correct. That's just not what I and and to be honest, you know, you have had people who have spent much more time and have yeah. a great deal more experience in this area. My area has been really narrowly focused on researching documented ghost sightings and then kind of digging into what are the details behind those that I could use in my fiction to make that more realistic. So I don't want to go outside. I don't want to go beyond my I, I want to stay in my lane. Of course. I mean, I and, understand that. And not not do uh something beyond that that's fine i just i was just curious if your research ever went towards that area but it's it's all good and but let me ask you this though what in your research have you looked into shadow people at all which some people consider a former ghost yeah um i've not you know i I, I know that I'm familiar with the name and I've read about that, but I, that's, I, I don't, I certainly don't have enough um, knowledge from any research to be able to uh, say one way or the other. Um, I mean, I, I know about orbs. We spent a lot, I've spent a lot of research on orbs. I, you know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the experts on ghosts believe that it is very, very difficult for a ghost to make it, make itself known to do things like, to have a have an actual human image to touch on the shoulder those kinds of things take a great deal of psychic energy that's the theory anyway um 
So many, many times the only occurrences of a ghost is an orb, a bright light that is inside in, in a room and it moves kind of flying saucer light around the room, bounces around the room. Yeah. I, I've witnessed those myself personally. I've seen those myself. So I know I can say I saw something that didn't have inside a room, no light, no trick, no anything else. So I, I can't say that I know that that's how that works, but I can tell you there wasn't any trick to it. Yeah, orbs, which I mean, they're also sometimes called ghost lights, but they, yes. it's, I, those fascinate me to some degree because, I mean, yes, people try to say, oh no, that's just, like when they capture them on camera, people try to say, oh no, that's just dust you're capturing that's hitting the light right. I'm like, no, they've been captured on train tracks in famous places. Yep. They've been, they've been captured all over Gettysburg at night. Like it's, it's, I mean, it's the, I know it's the, the original idea behind them was like, oh, it's the people who die in train accidents, the conductor, it's his lantern trying to lead them to where they need to go. But I mean, that's more of a tall tale than anything, I think. Yeah, but. right. Yeah, well, they, the orb I saw was in Nashville inside an interior room that no one was in. Yeah. You know, so, uh, all in one in Ohio too, another, another place that I had been, so. But, but and then the people who study this say that the reason that the orb exists is that the the being is able to project that much energy, which is much easier or less difficult to do than actually to create a, what looks like a human form. Yeah, which I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I I yeah. don't know if you heard. I don't know if you heard on one of the episodes. I do. I have a whole theory about like a ghost evolution type theory, but I won't get into it now but it's a long winded thing but that i don't know no yeah you know, it's basically an idea that just i'll summarize it basically that ghosts when they first when someone first dies and they're a ghost on stuck on earth they are basically a misty form because that's all they can do at that point yeah and then eventually i my belief is that they turn to shadow people after that because they're able to kind of look like a human but not fully yet and then eventually they get to the full apparition phase where you can see them clearly and you can tell who they are just by looking at them. So that's that's my theory. I mean, I didn't really research into it or anything. It's just kind of something I came up with one day. Like, what if that's why all these different things exist that we see, but we can't explain them? Like, well, that I would say that's at least a reasonable explanation of it, or at least as reasonable as anybody else has been able to come up with. One of the things that I uncovered in my research, I don't know if you know this or not, but according to two studies that were done in the last 20 years by two different groups, um, about 50% of Americans believe in ghosts. One study actually had the number at 48%. The other one was at 51%. The other thing that uh, two other two additional studies, one by the AP and one by uh, a university, they asked people, have you ever had an experience with a ghost? Have you seen a ghost, felt a ghost, heard a ghost? This one about blew me out of the water. One in five people said that they had, 21% actually was the number in the, in the study. So one in five. So that's a, that is an overwhelming number of, I mean, we're talking, you know, in this country alone, and actually the numbers are higher in other countries than they are in America. But in this country alone, that's, you know, hundreds and thousands, probably in the millions of people. Oh, I mean... I fully believe that because one, um, it, just the amount of people I see in paranormal groups on Facebook and Twitter that 
will gladly like tell their story and there's every day there's new stories coming out from people about occurrences they've had happen and to all the ghost hunter television shows that are on tv in the last 10 years wouldn't be able to have an audience if people didn't believe you got so. that right well and i can i can validate that for you because as i mentioned i have this these two presentations that i do about ghosts that i share with groups and not every time i've done these presentations about 50 times probably 10 different states all over the u.s about every other time somebody in the group after the thing's up will come up to me and go uh, can I talk to you? He said, do you have time to go over and visit in Greenville? It was this hotel. You want to come over and see? I own this hotel. I'm positive this hotel is haunted. I, here's why. You know. So almost every place, it's not every place, but every other place I go, somebody's got a actual personal ghost story that they want me to either research or tell or learn about or whatever. Yep, I mean it's not surprising to me at all. I, I mean, my family's boring, but my wife's family—they live in a severely haunted house. Most of them did for years, and they have tons of stories to tell about things that happened in that house or around that house. Like it was built on Native American burial ground. They found out their grandfather found out and rebuilt it. But uh, okay, so I mean that's a yeah, that no, that's, that's a whole nother level and. That house is just creepy. I used to spend the night there every other, spend every other weekend there when I was first dating her, and it's a creepy house. Like it's just, you get the like, feeling you're being watched twenty four seven. Oh, okay. Creepy in the sense of you felt eyes were on you. That and then like you feel like you see stuff out of the corner of your eye at night when you're walking through the house. Yeah, I, maybe the case. I, the my, the second book in my series I set at um, Cape May. New Jersey. And for those that don't know where that is, that's at the very tail end of New Jersey, at the very bottom. <laughs> In fact, it's exit zero on the Garden State Parkway. And I was amazed when I I chose that because it's a just it's a gorgeous town, beautiful town. Um has a lot to recommend it as a wonderful setting for a story. But then when I did my research, I found it's actually the most haunted seaport on the eastern shore. And almost it has all it has a whole had a whole heck of bed and breakfasts and almost everyone has their own story about ghost does this you'll see the ghost do this I was uh, flabbergasted it's just kind of taken for granted yeah I mean it's well I mean I, that's a, that's the most haunted port oh yeah I I mean I can believe it because it's around like where the the history of America is the longest history. Right. And I mean, I would, I would have said what could have been there in New York or Boston, but I believe it could be New Jersey as well. That's not bad. That This is what they claim that it's the most haunted. It's the most haunted seaport. Now, you know, I didn't know this. People have been coming to that seaport for 150 years. Hmm. Um, it's obviously only good seaport weather in the summer and early fall. If you, that nobody would want to be hanging out on the beach at, in at this time of year in Cape Bay, but God, no. <laughs> um, but it has a very long history and it's kind of an interesting history. It had a railroad that 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 people from New York would come in the 1800s, and this was their vacation spot in the summer. Would come down there to the vacation. Yeah, so, that makes sense. So therefore, they have you know they have a long history and they have all they they have the largest collection of of Victorian architecture in the United States. 
except for San Francisco. But in their case, it theirs is all in a very small. Have you ever been to Cape May? Very tiny town. No, I I've been to parts of New Jersey because I grew up in New York, but I never really spent that much uh, time in like the beaches of Jersey. The last population count was about fifty four hundred people, and they have one hundred and seventy Victorian bed and breakfasts and mansions. Jeez. <laughs> so, and most of them, not all, but most of them date back to the past century. Yeah. In fact, the story is that in the 1800s, there was a big fire that wiped out nearly the whole town. So the whole town was rebuilt at the same time in what was then modern architecture, which we today call Victorian architecture. Hence, all the Victorian. And they've been well kept up over the years at great expense. But oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. And but I'm sure in the summertime, they also make a lot of that back. So. I, I'm, they, I'm, they have done very well. I, I, I have no doubt about it. It's a, uh, it's a huge investment if you're one looking for that, but it's one that can, can really make a lot of money coming back in. And people actually come to this particular, you know, a particular one because they want to hear about the ghost that's supposed to live in this angel of the seas is one of the ones that I write about in my book because there's a ghost that lives in the angel of the seas. Oh, okay. And there's a ghost that lives in the, in the, uh, in the inn of Cape May, that that, and I, one of the things that I did now, my ghost in my stories, I have three onshore mysteries. Each of the central mysteries is, is entirely fictional. The ghost I make up is fictional. The, the story that the victim is fictional, the murder is fictional. But what I do is I pepper all of those stories with very realistic uh, details. And in the case of Kate May, I actually included two of the documented ghosts in Kate May as part of the fictional story of my cold case murder mystery, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, and one, one of those is the in a, the, the 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 ghost that's supposed to haunt uh, uh, the end of Cape May. Interesting. So you got to be kind of curious now because if your first book is in Chesapeake Bay, I believe you said, or that's right, and your second book's in Cape May. Where's the third book? Is the third book Cod? is in third book is on the Gulf Coast of Florida. Oh, okay. Because I wanted to put it there. So yeah. There I have a rationale for how my character gets moved from they're actually in the third book, my protagonist and his then girlfriend, new wife, is on on their on their honeymoon in uh in in uh, Crystal River in Florida. Okay, nice. And and it, I I did that because I wanted someplace warm. So <laughs> the fourth one, which is in development, is going to be uh, my protagonist is from Michigan, uh, up by uh, up on the lakes up in Michigan. So he's going back yeah. to Michigan for his for the fourth adventure in uh, in in the series. So it won't be out until another year or so. Interesting. And I'm assuming that you do go to all these places and actually do. do the research. I, Okay. I do a great deal of research in each place. Um, I talk to the locals. I eat at the restaurants. I work with the library, local libraries there. I work with Chamber of Commerce. I send those people uh, draft copies of the manuscripts to make sure that I am, one, getting all the details right, and two, making sure that I present the area in a positive light so it doesn't uh, reflect negatively on the area because I'm writing about a murder. So, you know, that, there's that. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I mean, yeah, as long as you as long as you're putting the burrs fictitious in the book, then yeah, I'm sure you're I'm sure they don't mind. But I mean, the, the, the books the books are about a really serious issues. I mean, we're talking very lightheartedly about ghosts, which I'm enjoying, but I don't want to. So, for example, in the first book, the murder is about racial injustice. It's the, the murder that that he that my protagonist is actually investigating, which occurred some 30 years earlier, is a lynching that happened at this school. In the second book, it's all about human trafficking. And I chose that because in the Cape May area, Cape May, New Jersey, that's one of the largest human trafficking networks in the United States because human trafficking follows the same shipping routes that everything else gets shipped in America. Of course. And then the third one at, in Florida is all about the abuse of migrant workers in the South. So that in not now, uh, this takes place primarily on the Gulf Coast but all the farming is in the central Florida. So they do a little traveling in the story. So even though the ghosts are, I think, um, enjoyable and likable as characters in the story as they are developed, for example, in the third book, the ghosts are actually ghosts of two young toddlers, five and six-year-olds, two young kids that have been killed. Um, the, I, I'm not. I'm not afraid to tackle a serious issue as part of that story. Which I commend you for doing that, because those are all issues that need to be looked at and dealt with, and it's a interesting way of putting them out there, which will get people to read it and pay attention to it. So, I commend you on that. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm not a. You know, I'm. I'm not naive. People are going to pick my books up because they like a good mystery, or they like a little woo woo, or. There's a little bit of romance, and or even uh, I've had people pick them up because they like the location. I've always wondered about Cape May, blah, blah, blah. But part of my goal is that in their enjoyment, they'll be exposed to some things. They Like when I did my research on human trafficking, I was stunned by what I did not know. I was stunned by how much we know about human trafficking, but really never gets to the media, never gets to spent, no, none of those things. So I was trying to use this story as a way of at least opening people's eyes to say, well, maybe this is something we should be paying more attention to. Yeah, you know, I mean, we, we lose a girl. There are a few guys, but we lose a teen girl to human trafficking in this country every five minutes. I mean, that, that's a staggering statistic. And most of the human traffic victims are not Americans. They're Central America or they're Eastern European, but there's plenty of regular small town American girls, few boys, but mostly girls that get sucked into that web and either they end up in drugs, dead or in prison usually. Which I mean, yeah, it's just, it's scary that, and the fact that people don't look into it makes you think more and more like, why are people not looking into it more? Like who's behind it and financing it that they're not looking into it? Like it's just why scary. is it not getting more attention? Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's the reason I decided to. I mean, it is organic to the area. It is something that is real about that particular area. But that I wanted something that's a major issue that people could latch onto, and that's part of my that's that's part of my stick for for my book books. 
Which do you have an idea where the fourth one's gonna take place yet, or do you not want to spell that? Well, I'm no, it's not that I'm not afraid to tell people. I'm researching several locations in well, let me rephrase that. So um my my protagonist, although there's no no part of any of the story takes place in Michigan, we know that he was in the southern area of southern Michigan and got dumped by his fiance there, and that's how he ends up transporting himself across the country. So I've kind of laid that as a groundwork for his for his his extended family lives up there. So he's going back to see the extended family at and they're going to have a um, summer trip to uh, an aunt's house. That's one of these huge houses that are on on one of the lakes. So oh, okay. uh, this summer, I really had planned to do this this past summer, but my wife had some serious health issues. So we're putting it off a year. But so this summer I'm going to do a great deal more research and find a location that I think works that has, that has the draw that I think might be. And then it also um, is, might have some kind of haunted history. I usually pick places that are not super well-known. You know, I don't, I don't do a Miami or Fort Lauderdale or Malibu or anything like that. I'm trying to pick places that maybe maybe a little less known. So that that's part of what they may, people might be interested in because They'll discover someplace they'd never heard of before. That's and I'm going to look for someplace like that. And there are and I've done my research. There's a a number of towns like that that'll fit really well. So, oh yeah, I mean there's a there's a lot of small towns out there that have famous haunting stories or crybaby crybaby bridges or like all these types of phenomenon that are associated with ghosts. So. And what I expect, Jeremy, is that I'll go and do my visiting. I'll find a mansion someplace on the water and it'll just inspire me. That's kind of how the first book got started. I was actually traveling in New England and I, I'm, a, I'm an educator. I've spent 40 years serving children in, uh, in Ohio as a teacher, a college professor and a school leader, ran school districts for 28 years. So I'm always interested in schools wherever I go. That's kind of like, a, well, I found this incredibly interesting school in a town in Maine, I think someplace in New England, and I photographed it, liked it. I liked it so much that I thought, oh, no, this would be really good. So that the visual image of that, which I have recreated in my first story, Blood on the Chesapeake, uh, it has a parapet, um, uh, a widow's walk at the top that I actually had the lynching occurring on some 30 years earlier. So it became the frame that eventually became the story. I'm expecting I'll find something akin to that when I travel to Michigan and go, oh, that would work right there. I, so I might take right where it is in that town, or I may take that and transplant it into another town that I like better. But that's part of the fun of, you know, that's part of how I how I envision a story, how the story comes alive for me. I've got the skeleton of the story, a, a little pieces of here and there, and maybe what the ghost will be like and what the issue is behind it. But all the rest of it that makes the story meshed, I kind of wait till I'm on location. Uh, finding the place before I, I kind of get there. Which I have to imagine is kind of fun too to be able to scout out, scout out locations like that. Like I would love to be able to do that and actually be able to write things about it. But my writing skills have diminished over the years greatly, as much as I hate that fact. But I use oral skills now. But as I tell my children, God gives us all different gifts. You obviously have a gift for podcasting, so that's not to be. Uh, 
that's not to be shouted at. That's 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 good enough in itself. Yeah. Uh, right. I, if I can, can I give a shout out to my podcast while I'm on here? I'll make sure that. Uh, oh, I was going to ask shortly anyway uh, to have you tell us about your podcast because uh, I love hearing about the podcast. Good segue. It has nothing to do with ghosts. It has nothing to do with the paranormal. Well, only peripherally. Uh, the podcast is called Great Stories About Great Storytellers. And in that podcast, I tell the back, kind of the weird and sometimes unusual backstories about uh, either famous authors, famous poets, or, or famous directors. So uh, uh, listeners will learn about the author they already know. So, for example, John Grisham. But they'll know something about how he got started that they never heard about, how, how that happened. Or last year, uh, the, one of the poets I did was Edgar Allan Poe, and I told the story of how he wrote one of his most famous poems called Annabelle Lee about this girl in Savannah, I'm sorry, in Charleston, who he fell in love with as a teenager, or he might have been 20, 19 or 20, and she fell in love, but she was from a very rich family, and he was a poor guy, poor soldier, and the Parents wouldn't let them stay together. She committed suicide. He went to her grave. Anyway, so that people don't people know about Annabelle Lee. If you studied Edgar Allan Poe in in high school, I guarantee you, you read Annabelle Lee. But oh, they don't know this background story. So those are the kinds of stories that I tell uh, that people go, "Oh, I remember." Like I tell the story of Tom Clancy. You know who Tom Clancy is the most famous techno thriller in the world, been gone, been dead, I don't know, decades, a year, maybe 15 years, whatever. He's still having stories come out because other people are writing under his name. I talk about how he got started. He was a, he was a plain old vanilla insurance agent. And I talk about the story of how he went from that to becoming this mega author that everybody loved. So it's those kinds of stories that I like behind the people um, that, that, that I share. Um, it's kind of fun. I do a lot of research on each one to find something that's kind of a unique handle and then tell them that, that background that they might probably have not heard of. Have you done one for Stephen King yet? I have to ask. <laughs> I've not. He's on my list. I do. I, I only do one a month. So, I'm in my second year. We're on we're on uh, uh, 14 now, I think, or 12. Yeah, 13. And I have a schedule of ones. I try to make it a nice variety. So, for example, I try to make sure there's a director in the group. I try to make sure there's a poet or two. I try to make sure the genres are covered. So, um, I've got uh, uh, who's on the, the one for this month is Ray Bradbury. Ooh. The one for next month, and I try to mix it. I have to make sure there's a mixture of classic authors like Ray Bradbury and Mark Twain, for example, with current authors like J.K. Rowling, okay, and Ken Follett. And there's always a poet. So next month is Emily Dickinson. It's a really interesting thing about her background. That's that, that'll be a lot of fun. And there's always a director in the group. So last year I did Steven Spielberg, the most famous right. director in the most successful director in the world. And this this year I'll be doing Alfred Hitchcock. We talked about his storytelling ability. So uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot, like you, it's a lot of work to get it to where it's uh, it's uh, it's appreciable. And 
Now, my my efforts are far more modest than yours. My each episode's about 12 minutes, about 11 or 12 minutes. So it's a quick listen for people who are interested in uh, learning about the other side of authors and directors that they know, but people they don't know about. If you're old enough, I'm not sure if you're old enough or not. If you're old enough to remember Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story, this is um, this Sounds is familiar. this is the Paul Harvey The Rest of the Story about authors, directors, and poets. Okay? Mm. Yeah, well, I definitely I definitely plan on checking it out because I do love hearing about all those people. Include, I mean, I hope you do an episode. I, I, I hope you do an episode on Sylvia Plath eventually, but. I don't have her in my list, and I will make sure I have because I, I know I know about Sylvia, and I have and I oh I should have said I also try to make sure that I have a mixture of male and female. I'm trying as best as I can to have some diversity in there, although because of the Western canon, that's been kind of hard to hard. To, those people who are diverse authors have not been as plentiful and as knowledgeable. As yeah, one of the limitations of mine, I don't know if it's, I don't know if I can say it's a limitation, is that my, I, what I've noticed when I look at the numbers who are listening to the numbers are always hinged to who that, who the author or poet or director is. The more knowledgeable yeah. and more famous that person is, the better the numbers get. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, it's the same, um, with my music podcast, I do it's the artists we're talking about. It changes how many listeners listen to it. I mean, we got we, we got huge in Finland because I love a Finnish band called Nightwish. So I mean, it's all about your it's all about pandering to the people who listen to your show and right. find the find the audience that they want to hear of uh, what they want to hear about. So, but at the end of the day, yeah, podcasting's a it's a numbers game sometimes, but. Well, I, I'm I one of the, you know, I'm trying to balance. Well, I want to make sure that I have this in there, but if nobody's going to bother to pick up and listen, then it really won't give exposure to those individuals anyway. So I'm kind of trying to trying to find my way there. And I'm still relatively new. You've been at this a long time. I'm, you know, I'm kind of uh, in the early stages. It, I enjoy it. I will tell you, I've been very surprised at how much work it takes to get 12 minutes of finished piece up and at a serviceable level that people will enjoy to listen to. Yeah, well, I appreciate you saying that, but I've actually been doing this for less than a year. <laughs> oh, really? So, oh, I just well, you, have, I, you have a lot of episodes for less than a year. So I re I release twice a week because the paranormal is such a dynamic field of so many topics that I can I get a, I've gotten a lot of yes. I, I bet I'm sure you do. I'm sure. And the ones I listened to, I, and I purposely tried to listen to very different ones. So I listened to the author about the Atlantis. I listened to the ghost bike. I listened to the hypnotist one. I'm missing another one I listened to. So on purpose, I was trying to kind of yeah. get a selection of, so I had some idea of, you know, how you run things and what you were looking for and what, what your audience is expecting. I hope I haven't. I hope I've lived up to those expectations. Anyway, um, I find I have found that my audience loves me talking to authors. They just they love it. Like it's a nice. I mean, yeah, a lot of the authors I talk to are also mediums or whatever, but they are they like the authors too. They're just um, authors. They don't have any paranormal abilities of their own usually, and they're just authors who love the topics. 
so they want to do the research to write the books. And I mean, I think you excelled at that. So one, one, my second episode, I think was, or third episode was with Brandy Alexander, who she came on to talk about the first book she has wrote in her series, which will have four or five books in the next five, six years. But still one of my favorite episodes I ever did was with her because I actually had the time to read the whole book before I talked to her and I was oh, in love with it. <laughs> I was in love with it, but it's now what, yeah. what, what paranormal aspect did she have in her book? Kind of similar. Kind of similar to yours, but not a different aspect of it. I mean, she had, she had a bro. She had a man who, when they were kids, his brother died, saving him from falling in the ice and his brother's and her, his brother's the, the brother that died hit the spirit of that brother helped basically stayed around and protects the little brother oh, okay. life. and with the help of multiple spirits and um he basically became a detective kind of or a like oh, cool. he, he solves like murder mysteries and stuff for like the LAPD because he has his his brother and the other two ghost friends he has can go anywhere and see anything basically so they can find out stuff a lot faster than other people can <laughs> and i mean it de it develops into a whole storyline about um demons try to take over earth and um, oh, okay so it, it goes like, like i said it goes a different route than your books go but it's it's more almost religion fiction but it's okay it was very interesting and i i mean it reminded me of a lot of um What's the word? Uh, science fiction, paranormal fiction. I read as a kid. Like it reminded me of a lot of like young adult books like that I read as a kid that yeah, I yeah, loved. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's it was right my alley, and I just I was recovering from surgery, so I actually had the time to sit there and read it all day. And it was I think I finished the whole book in three days. I mean, it wasn't that long, but still, I finished it in three days, and I was. You can hear in the episode my excitement about it. <laughs> you really can. But I also was a brand new podcaster at that point, and I wanted to make sure I. The first author I had on, I want to make sure I read her book. So, good idea. Na nowadays, I try to, I try to, but I, I mean, the amount of books I'd have to read to do that would be immeasurable. So, it would, be, it would certainly be challenging. Well, uh, before I leave, let me give at least a couple of uh, plugs for me. For, oh, so, please. Uh, first of all, <laughs> everything they wanted to know, either about my books or my podcast or my research or my presentation. They can find easily on my website, which is just www.authorrandyoverbeck.com. Couldn't be much simpler. Uh, they can they can uh, catch me on Twitter. It's at Overbeck Randy, or else on Facebook, which is just Randy Overbeck. So I'm easy to find if they're interested, and um, I'm be happy to connect with them if they're so inclined. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to come on and. Uh, Share some thoughts about uh, uh, about the other world that that uh, that shadows ours and uh, our belief about that. Well, it's been a pleasure having you, Randy. It's been a great. And you've been a great guest to talk to, and I've learned a lot about different places that I never really been to or thought about that much. So, i I actually look for, I actually look forward to reading your book someday. Though I'm definitely going to add them to my list of books I plan to read someday. <laughs> Hey, I've got a long list of that as well. I understand. So yeah, uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy them when you get there. Yeah, you know, full-time job, three podcasts, two kids, two dogs, a wife. It, it doesn't leave much time for reading books. But yes. yes, life does get in the way of all those other 
uh, unfortunately all the other but, choices that's right but I, I will thank you for coming on and my listeners you all know where you can find me be sure to check out i will put randy's website right in the description of this podcast or anybody just click on it and go to it and other than that just thank you all for listening and i hope you enjoyed it i know i did and i will see you all in half a week randy thank you for being on it's been an honor jeremy thanks for having me i enjoyed it my pleasure